you got your Bibles open to Ephesians 4. We're going to go verse 11 to 16. And we're going to talk about the gifts in use. In other words, in this passage, God says he gave these gifts to the church. And we're going to look at putting them to use. And what does that mean? Why are they in use? And what is the results of their use? And I'm going to cover all that really quickly. And I'm going to come back and just start applying it today and finish applying it uh, even more next week. So let's read it together if you'll stand up with me. And I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, in love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we thank you in Jesus' name for your wonderful mercy and grace to us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, what an awesome God you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to behold the wonderful things out of your word. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart and mind, that we can see what it is you are saying to the church. But Lord, more than just understanding, we want understanding with obedience, which is truly a definition of, of hearing, of listening in the scripture. That we listen with an intent to obey. Lord, may we not come just to hear a beautiful song sung by the preacher. But Lord, uh, may we come to hear your word uh, as it applies in our life. Lord, bring us conviction. Bring us encouragement. Bring us exhortation through your word. Lord, we bind our enemy, Satan. We, We take authority in the name of Jesus. Ask you, Lord, to cast him out. And uh, Lord, we ask you to bind him and rebuke him. For he has no place or or parcel here with your people and yet he roams Gethsemane's grounds he's seeking like a roaring lion whom he may devour Lord, we ask for a time of 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 peace the time of deliverance that we might hear clearly your word without distraction and we ask it in Jesus name amen y'all be seated I meant to say you know uh, brother Mark's awesome on that guitar isn't he I mean we got awesome musicians all over most guitars only have six strings he's so good he had to get one with 12 so, uh, I appreciate it, Brother Mark. That was a good job today. We, we, uh, we have two daughters, and I'm not going to throw any of them under the bus, but I am going to throw one under the bus without telling you which one. My wife was helping one of them one time uh, clean up, move from one house to another whenever they were moving. And uh, she came across this closet with things, gifts stacked in it with labels on it. And, and they weren't wrapped, but they were just unopened boxes and she said what are these with labels she said those are gifts that I got from the wedding I can't use and the label tells me who gave it so I make sure I don't re-gift it back to them (laughs) because I really appreciated it but we couldn't return it and I do appreciate the gift and I, I appreciate them giving it to me and I don't want to offend them and some of y'all treat the gifts of God like that. You label it, well, God gave me this gift. Let me put it in a closet, make sure it doesn't get soiled or messed or, you know, overused. I, I was raised by Depression-era parents. My parents grew up in the Depression. So everything was important to them, okay? You following me? They, they oh, I heard the stories. Uh, we only got an orange, one orange at Christmas in our stocking. Uh, you know, fold up, newspaper, fold over, put it in your shoes because the soles wore out. And they weren't kidding. I asked my dad, you know, what they do. And he, my dad grew up on a farm. He was born in 1919. That puts in perspective. And they'd catch a possum, feed it corn for two weeks, clean it out good, and they'd serve it with poke salad, which is a wild plant for you uneducated Philistines. And, uh, <laughs> and sweet potato and eat that possum. I mean, that's rough, isn't it? So when we get clothes at Christmas or a toy, we'd want to play with or put it on. And my mom would say, don't wear it out. 
You save that for a special day. I got clothes I haven't worn since I was six. I'm just waiting <laughs> on that special day. No, I'm kidding. I don't. But isn't that what we do sometimes? We just, oh, it's so nice. It's so, they've made a TV commercial about it now. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times. There's some laundry detergent that won't fade and stretch and wear out your clothes. But they do the commercial, somebody going, oh, dress, I love you so much. I bought six just like you. And the guy going, oh, shirt, you're so bright and blue. I'm going to put you in this drawer so you never become dull, you know. And, and then, they, you know, the detergent, whatever, the super great detergent that won't make it fade or bleed out or whatever. And, and so it's a commercial. And we, we have that idea about gifts. And yet God gave us gifts. Thank you. And in this passage, he's talking about a few specific gifts that are also offices in the church. Some of the problem in modern uh, church life, and I'm going to be probably a little bit casual the next couple of weeks because I'm explaining things and talking about things in a, in a little bit different way. It's, it's not going to be three points in a poem and you're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. By the way, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. But... But saying, now, I, I, I want you to understand. Uh, I, I want you to understand something that sometimes in a modern church we confuse the office with the gift. You see, as 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 what we understand the Bible to be saying, there are two offices that should not be occupied by ladies, and it's pastor and deacon, and that's it. And I, I don't want to make a big deal. I, you want to attack me later? We can talk about it. But we get that from in First Timothy. When he gives the qualifications of a pastor and the qualifications of a deacon, it uses very specific language because Greek is a very spe- it's more specific than English. It can refer to male, it can refer to female, it can refer to neuter or, or neither. All right? Which is, it could be male or female. And it's very specific. It says, let the pastor and let the deacon be the husband of one wife. It does not say the mate of one spouse, which would be neutral. And it doesn't say the wife of one husband, which would totally flip this on the way we do it. So therefore, based on the understanding of how God said it, that's just a stance. But let me ask you a question. What does the word deacon mean? Serve, right. I knew somebody knew. It means to serve. By the way, I don't ask hard questions, okay? The answer may not be Jesus, but it's still not a hard question. I know most people ask questions. The answer is always God or Jesus. So, so, women should serve, right? Should a woman never serve? Well, of course not. See, you've confused the office with the gift. Should women ever do the work of a pastor? So, you're going to let your kids raise themselves? Isn't that what a pastor does? Feed the flock? Care for the flock, bind up their wounds, help them to heal, understand how they should live. Isn't that the job of shepherding and pastoring? Pastoring? Can't speak well. I've washed my mouth just before I came and I can't do a thing with it now. But isn't that the, isn't that the job? Well, of course a woman's called a pastor. But she's not called to be the pastor. Should a woman never share the gospel? Of course she should share the gospel. Never confuse the office with the gift. Nobody's saying that a woman's inferior or anything else. It's just different. It's just a different application. And by the way, if you're a lady and you want one of those offices, you're nuts. Okay? You're crazy. Because you are asking God to judge you more severely just as he is going to judge me more severely over what I teach you and how I lead you. I I understand that weight, and the older I get, the more I understand it. Then I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, why did you lead them that way? Why did you teach them that? Why didn't you teach them to do this? Why didn't you lead them to do that? Why did you stop that, or why didn't you do that? And I'm going to be called an account for what you do. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm going to be asked of God why I led you the way I led you. Okay, so the only reason I'm standing here is because God told me to. Because trust me, once you understand that, if God didn't call you, you're going to go sell insurance or something. You're just not going to keep doing this. But I, I said that. I didn't mean to say that, so maybe somebody in here needed that. But, but I want you to understand that because we're going to talk about some offices in the church, but they are also have 
gifts associated with them. And nobody has the right to say, well, I don't have that gift, so I don't have to do that. No, we all are required to do that. In fact, Paul tells Timothy as a pastor to do the work of one of the gifts listed here that Timothy wasn't gifted in. He says, but you need to be doing that anyway, because that's what a Christian ought to be doing. Basically, is what he says to him in 2 Timothy. Y'all following me? Because some of y'all are looking like real puzzled or really mad, and I'm not sure which. And so there is no back door, so I'm going to have to defend myself. No, I'm kidding. There is a back door. I'm going to go out of it if I have to. (laughs) So I I want you to understand that, that we unwrap these gifts. and, And in the church, there are churches that are more conservative than the Bible. Well, a woman ought not ever talk. Really? I'm glad my mom didn't believe that. Because <laughs> she had to teach me, and I was a little boy. There's some things about ladies, because husbands, you're called to live with your wife according to knowledge and understanding. And if you don't have a woman explain that to you, because none of us ever got it, you're not going to get it. I hope y'all are getting my point here. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just using this as an example, but you can, you can actually spread that out to other areas and other things. I'm kind of using men and women and offices in the church. And, and, and so it's just that simple. Nobody thinks less because, in, in fact, God made women to understand things faster. They have a better intuition. The two sides of their brains communicate faster and better and more knowledge back and forth than a man. We say women are emotional, but that's the reason because they see everything at once. You take a little boy or a little girl into a room they've never seen before with, filled with kids and toys. Okay, you can do this experiment a thousand times. Most times it's going to work out the same way. The little boy will, will step into the room, spot, spy a ball or a truck or a building block and run straight to it and start playing. The girl will turn around and grab her mom's legs. Why? Because she took in the whole room at once and it overwhelmed her. The boy is single focused and he saw, I got a truck, I'm going to play with that truck and that's where he's headed. And that's how we, that's a little bit of a difference in us. And so God calls men to lead, but women understand all the dangers of that. And, and so a man that's in leadership doesn't listen to his wife who says, you better watch out for that, is a fool. And then, you know, of course, some men are just sorry, and the women have to kind of lead, help them lead. Uh, I knew one pastor, when they were calling him in church, they said, now, are you going to lead this church or is your pastor? Or is your wife going to? I'm sorry, I messed that up. Are you going to lead this church or is your wife? Well, guess what? We're a team and she helps me understand stuff. She'll say, honey, I'm not sure if you say that that way or if you do that, that they're going to get it. It might be better because she understands better some things that I don't get. Y'all with me? This is a, a divine cooperation. Because of the fall, we see, we see some, some wrinkles in the fabric. But, but that's why. And by the way, I can cook, I can clean, I can sew, I can iron. I can wash, I can do all those things. I don't think that's unmanly. If you think it's unmanly, meet me after church outside. <laughs> My son was bragging the other day. When I was 18, I could take care of myself. I could cook, I could, I could do all those things. Because he was mad at somebody who was 24 and still dependent on their parents. In fact, somebody gave us a cruise uh, for our uh, wedding anniversary. What was that, 25th, I guess? And our son was about 18 then. And it was the first time, because if you don't know, you hadn't heard me say this, some of y'all are guests today, and you're going, what kind of preacher do y'all have? But, but uh, uh, he was 18, and, and my wife's maiden name was Valentine, and so Valentine's Day is like a party at our house. Always has been, ever since the first time when it wasn't. Um, and I learned. And, and, and so we come back from the cruise, it was over Valentine's Day, and my, my wife, the whole cruise... Oh, poor Ian, he's home by himself. He's by himself. Oh, poor Ian, poor Ian. What's, he's, so we got home, we, and my son is kind of a, let's just say he's not a people person. And, uh, and we got home, and, I, and we said, son, what'd you do for Valentine's Day? Because it's always been a party. He says, greatest thing ever, ever. I made up a marinade, and I bought a steak, and I marinated it for 24 hours. And then I went out to the fire pit, and I built a fire, and I wrapped a sweet potato in tinfoil with butter. And I put it in the fire. And I put, I got the grate off the, off the uh, grill. And I put rocks around it and put it over the fire. And I cooked that steak on that fire. And had it with asparagus and sweet potato. And I sat outside and I watched the stars go by. He says, the greatest night of my life. That's what he said. 
Now he's married. He's had better since. But uh, <laughs> what's my point? My point is, I'm not. Sometimes we culturally start thinking men and women have to be a certain way, but biblically, biblically, God's called the man to be the manager, the leader, but He's not called him to do that as a lone ranger. He's called him to listen to wise counsel, not govern men or women. But women have a certain type of counsel to give. So I don't want you going out here and say, our preacher doesn't believe in, you know. Listen, we, we all are equal before God, right? And God, there's no male or female. We don't have a higher standard with God or anything else. It's just to respect, because in case you hadn't noticed, I can't have a baby. So don't come telling me, well, I just think, you know, I believe in equality. Well, so do I, but elephants can't fly. Ants can't stomp and trumpet. God made them to have different roles and different purposes and different reasons. So we have to understand God's biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and the roles that he's given us to exercise within what he made us. And if you're confused on that, by the way, I don't mean to condemn you or hurt your feelings, but you are what you were born And by the way, gender does not refer to male and female. It refers to that only in language. You have sex. You're either a male sex or a female sex. And you don't get to decide. I mean, I I, I used to say, well, no, I'm not going to say that. That sounds mean, and I'm not going to say it. It is. Don't ask me. It's mean. I won't even repeat it. But I'm just telling you, you're either a male or a female, period. That's it. No, No questions. And you, by surgery, don't become a female. You're just a man pretending to be a woman. I'll say that to Bruce Jenner to his face if I ever got the opportunity. Or whoever. Wow, I hadn't even got to a sermon yet. Why am I off on all this? I don't know. So God gave some gifts. And here's what I want you to notice. That those gifts associate with the purposes of our church. I know I'm running... uh, Hold on, let me just stop for a second. I'm running the sound people crazy because I keep fiddling with this. I'm probably running you crazy. There, now I fixed it. It's good. All right. I have to just stop and do it right. I want, go to the next slide, please. Here's the deal. Here are those gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. Now, let me just say something real fast. The shepherd, teacher, and a lot of people put those two things together. Shepherd refers to the office. Teacher refers to the role or the job. I've separated them out for the purpose of this. These are the stated purposes of this church. Pastor Randy made sure y'all knew that. It was in his new members class, in our new members class. I did add one, prayer, and that's not up there. Because prayer is a foundational thing in everything we do. It is inherent in all that. And only had five offices. But I, so I just left it off. Because these are the five things we are doing. Each one should be done in prayer. But we ought to emphasize prayer as well, I, I believe. And in Acts 2, they do. But the apostle, in the New Testament, an apostle was a guy that they helped codify what we believe. They're the guys that started the church. They're the ones that began this new work. And in the sense of a New Testament apostle, none exist today. If you're from an apostolic church, you've been taught wrong. There are no apostles today in the sense of the New Testament and that is, there is nobody, and, and the next one relates to this as well, that is getting direct revelation from God outside of the Bible. We get direct revelation from God, but we don't call it that. We call it illumination as we open the Bible and read. And an apostle is someone, and, and I associate with worship, because they're the guys that laid the foundation for the church. They're the guys that hung out with Jesus and learned from him and started the church, period. Now, do we have the gift of apostleship today? In a sense, notice those three words, yes, we do. I don't believe that any of the gifts cease. I just believe some of them are not Necessary in the culture of the world we live in in North America. This one is not necessary in the sense that it was applied in the New Testament. That gift ceased, period. I understand that. But we still have people that go to places that have not yet been reached and start a new work. But it's not new in the sense that we never saw it before. It's new in the sense that it hasn't been there before. You see, the church didn't exist until Jesus died and the apostles established the church. Amen? 
Well, you don't get to establish a new church. The church is the church is the church. Now, we got different flavors, and I get that, but you don't, you're not going to start some other. I think we'll have a different organization. And there are a lot of Christian organizations out there that aren't the church. But they do godly Christian work, right? But they're not the church. Jesus died for the church. I'm going to give my life to the church. That's what God's called us to. And the reason those organizations exist because the church didn't act like the church and somebody saw a need and started filling it outside of the church, which means it's doomed to failure eventually. Because the church is the only thing guaranteed not to fail. Amen? Okay, so apostles may start new churches in today's sense of the word, a new work of the church, but they don't start a new thing of the church. Secondly, the prophets, same thing. In the New Testament, a prophet received direct revelation from God and wrote it down. So Paul had that gift. Uh, uh, The guys that wrote the Bible, they, they had a sense of that gift. And so when you hear prophet or prophecy, you think of telling the future. And the Bible does do that. And so in that sense, that's true. But prophet is also someone who tells forth the word of God. So the way we have a prophet today, again, they're not getting direct revelation. They're taking the revelation given and proclaiming it to the church. And let me be even a little more specific. A prophet has an uncanny ability to take the Bible and apply it to the direct need. I, I've got some cuts on my hands. We, we went to my, my baby grandbaby turned one yesterday. So we were helping clean up and, and uh, the house and getting it ready for the party my daughter threw for her. And I know that one-year-old appreciated that so much. <laughs> Difference between men and women here. See what I'm saying? She's just one. She doesn't get it. But anyway, you do it. It makes your daughter happy, right? Well, I got some cuts on my hands, so you know what I need to do? I need to get some Dobbin medicine, as Jerry Clark would have said. Some antibiotic ointment and put it directly on the wound. You see, that's what a prophet does. He takes the salve of God's word and applies it directly to the issue, the problem. In fact, that's what Paul tells Titus to do in Titus 1.5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are still lacking. In other words, fix the problems. And ordain elders in every city as I've ordained you. We'll come back to that later, but let me make a statement I'll make again later. Maybe. Leaders don't create followers. Leaders create leaders. Don't forget that. That's good. So the prophet takes the word of God and applies it to the needs of the church. In the New Testament, a prophet would get the word of God and then apply it to the needs of the church. Uh, there's There's a satirical... Um, website or something called Babylon B. Maybe some of y'all read that on Facebook. But they had a really funny one the other day where a guy's sitting there and it said, man prays for God to reveal his will five feet from his Bible. His Bible's sitting there closed and he's praying, oh God, show me your will. Open the Bible. Guess what? God's will's in there. Do you know that? We're, we're, we, we, we complicate this. It's not complicated. God told us what to do. It's right there. Yeah, but I want to know whether I should marry Susie or Jennifer or Katie. I hope those, well, I'm sure some of those names are here, but, well, dude, come on. Maybe God doesn't want you to get married. Maybe he wants you to choose him rather than that. Now, I'm not saying that. In fact, the Bible says that's not for everybody. In fact, it's not for very many people at all, but that might be. So the issue is not who you ought to marry. The issue is, should you get married? Number two, the second issue is, are you ready? Are you the right person? Because I'm I'm talking to you singles out there now and teenagers. Don't seek a right person. Seek to be the right person. Because if you are the right person, God will take care of the rest. Okay? That's good advice right there. You ought to write that down. You're going to see that later in life. So that's how those two work. Those two are the debated ones, and I've, I've been studying this. I've been reading preachers, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not in a, I'm not in... Well, there are a lot of preachers that say, oh, those two don't even exist, so don't bother with it. Then why did he put them in the Bible? I don't think God wasted words in the Bible. That's just my personal opinion. And, and listen, I'm going against some national preachers when I say that. All right, some really good men I read and listened to, and they're like... Well, this is what apostles did, but that doesn't exist anymore. This is what prophets did, but that doesn't exist anymore. Really? Then why God waste our time making us read about it? I don't need to know that unless I need to know that. And I need to know that. 
Because there are apostles, we call them missionaries, and in the sense that they go and start something that hadn't existed before, they still exist. They just don't come back and go, while I was on the mission field, God gave me a new book for the Bible. No, that didn't work. You follow me? Okay, good. They're not going to come up with a new idea of how things ought to be. I don't care how they comb their hair or how much money they get on TV. Evangelist, duh, the purpose of evangelism. By the way, notice that a prophet helps us do discipleship because he's taking you and he's helping apply God's word to you so your life will change. The apostle is helping us in worship because he is moving us always toward God's will and what God wants to do. The evangelist, of course, evangelism, same word. It means, it means good news. And to proclaim the good news is to evangelize, to preach it. So the evangelist helps us do evangelism. But, well, I'll say that in a second. Then the shepherds, obviously minister to people they help people take care of their needs and 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 work on them and as i said a lot of people put these two together and grammatically you probably can i separate them for the purpose of this sermon so you understand and teachers help us in fellowship because fellowship is not eating a green bean casserole okay with your friends we we as baptists think that casseroles define fellowship but they don't and I say that facetiously. I, I grew at one point in my young life before I was married to hate casseroles. I say before I was married because before I was married, I was mean. And uh, my wife's helped me be nicer. And, and, but I hated casseroles for a long time. It's like, good night, man. Just cook the green beans or cook the squash and let me eat it. That'd be fine. I like them separate. Um, but, but my kids were little and obviously that did carry over into marriage a little bit. Because one night, Janice served us a casserole, which I learned, by the way, if you're newly married or about to get married, guys, don't ever say that ain't how mama made it. And don't ever complain about the cooking. Shut up, eat it, tell her it's the best thing you ever ate. In 20 years, you can make a suggestion how she could do it better, but not now. Or buy her a cookbook, either one. Oh, honey, you cook so well, I thought you'd like to have more variety. There you go. I have a friend whose wife couldn't cook, and she got a cookbook, and he, he said he had chicken every night for two months after they were married. He finally says, is there another page in that cookbook? <laughs> he said, and from that day to this, she's never cooked a meal, and that's true. She never did. They got a lot of problems, but anyway... Fellowship is not eating a casserole, I was going to tell you. And so one night, uh, Cameron, my middle daughter, said, ooh, I don't like this. Mom, mom said, eat that. And she said, I don't like it. And my daughter, Savannah, said, Cameron, you better eat it. There are starving children in China that don't have casserole. <laughs> I said, maybe I've said that too many times. I'm going to shut up about casseroles. A teacher helps us in our fellowship because fellowship is helping each other look like Christ. It's when we get together and we've created such a relationship, I can look at you and go, you know, man, I just don't sense or I've seen this in your life and I'm not sure it's what it ought to be. It's not being a prophet coming in, here's the word of God and you better repent. It's more of a friendship. Let me help you with this. You're obviously struggling. You're not treating your wife right, not treating your husband right if you're a lady talking to a lady. Um, Let me help you with disciplining your children. Let me help you with how you do a Bible study at home and just whatever. That's fellowship. That's just lovingly encouraging one another. I, I, I think we need more, more of that. Ministry is meeting needs with love, by the way. I didn't give you a definition for it. And the whole church should be ministering. And so I just want to point out that these gifts help us in these purposes. Now, let me also say those aren't all exclusive. Because you can switch those out a little bit. And, and you could argue with me, well, I would have put this there. And I'd go, yeah, you probably are right. I, I probably messed that up. Because there's no just little neat compartment you can put God and how he works in. All right? So you might be a pastor and God calls you to be prophetic. You might be a prophet and God calls you to be pastoral. See my point? And, and, I, and I'm not saying that those gifts always correlate with that. Because guess what? Just because you're not an evangelist, and this was the one Paul said to Timothy. He said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't tell him to be an evangelist because Timothy wasn't an evangelist. He was not a good evangelist at all. He was shy. He was scared. He he was worried about what people thought. And Paul said, you need to do the work of an evangelist. You need to get out there and start talking about Jesus. Because guess what? If you don't have the gift of evangelism and you tell somebody about Jesus, they might get saved anyway. Right? Okay, so just because it's not your gift doesn't give you an excuse not to do it. 
You say, well, I don't have the, I don't have the gift of, of being a shepherd, so I, I, I shouldn't have to minister. My gift's prof- prophetic. I'm going to come to the pastor's meeting and tell them all, every way they're wrong. Because I've, the, I've got the prophetic gift. I'm going to run out here and do my own thing because I've got the apostle gift. And I'm just going to go. No, you've got to go with the sanction and the authority of a church. Because that's the structure God put in. You follow me? And so you don't get to decide what you want to do. You've got to figure out what God wants to do. And we do that together corporately, guess what, as a body. And Paul's going to go on in this passage to mention this. That the wild, weird thing is, he gives gifts to individuals, but they work together in the body, for the body to work together. So just because you have a gift, that means you get to be a lone ranger, go out and do it any way you want. You do it within the context of helping the church to build itself up, to become strong within itself. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, thank you. So I, I, as I said earlier, I didn't mean to... Make too much of what I was saying at the beginning. I was just trying to illustrate kind of how we're going to look at this. So that you could understand that as you look at these gifts. You may be gifted in this. But God didn't call you to the office of the pastor. He may not have called you to the office of the evangelist. He may not have called you to the office of, of, of a church planner. That doesn't mean you're not involved in it. That means your gifts can't contribute to that. Because in 1 Corinthians 12 there's a whole slew of gifts. There's a bunch more gifts. And this gifts like mercy. Somebody's hearing the prophet rake them over the coals. Somebody's got to come in with some mercy and help love them into obedience. Amen. Okay, I'm just waiting on the amen there. I can tell you where we ought to go. I can tell you why we ought to go there. I can tell you what it's going to look like when we get there. But I need somebody to tell me where, what's the first step. So I need somebody with the gift of administration to help me to fulfill my role as a pastor, fulfill my role as a prophet, to fulfill my role as an evangelist. How are we going to organize these people to witness? How are we going to teach these people to witness? We need teachers to teach people this is the doctrine of the Bible. This is the application of the Bible. This is how we're going to do it. There are many gifts that contribute into these five gifts, but these five gifts have a very specific purpose, and that's what he gets into in uh, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There are three things there. To equip the saints. It's to put the tools in your toolbox so that you can do the job. There's an old saying that I love. I didn't make it up, but I love to repeat it. When the only tool you got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And back again to the difference between a man and, man and woman. My wife will ask me to do a job like hang a picture. I've got to disappear for 30 minutes to go down to where the tools are. <laughs> she knows where I'm headed. To find the right kind of measuring thing to measure exactly on the wall where it needs to be. And the right kind of hammer to tap that, that little tack in there. And the right, find the right kind of hanger to, to find the right distances and a level to make sure I get it straight and all that. My wife will get a shoe back up and go right about there. Pow! There we go. That'll work. It's just a different approach, right? It's a different approach. And so the more tools you have in your toolbox... That's more about personality than tools. The more tools you have, and she knows. I saw this, I I literally saw this the other day. It was a picture of a butter knife. says, where I come from, this is also a flathead screwdriver. (laughs) And I went, Janice's mom was a single mom, raised three kids by herself. And she had this little hammer, and and the end unscrewed, and there were four screwdrivers in that hammer. She did every job in her house with that little hammer thing. And we have one. But anyway, that's, that's more about than, than the job. When you've got the tools, you've got to know how to use them. I mean, there are a lot of tools out there. There, there are men in here and, and, that have a lot of tools, and they know how to use them. You could give me the problem, give me the materials, and set me in front of that tool, and I couldn't do anything with it because I don't know how to operate it. I don't know how to turn it on. I don't know the safeties of it. I don't know anything about what I'm doing. So... To have the tools, one thing, but know how to use it's another. And that's what equipping is. Equipping is making 
sure it's you know what you're doing with it. It is getting you ready. It's, it's growing up into it to bear fruit. It's, it, it's, it's moving forward. And notice why are you being equipped? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's a service involved. We call this the service. This isn't service. Y'all are sitting down. You're not serving, you're sitting. I make the joke that people join the church, we get them to fill out a card, say thank you, have a seat, and they mistake that for the Great Commission. I heard a preacher say there's too many people in church sitting on their blessed assurance. And that's just true. We, we, we sit. I heard this definition riding home last night. We were in South Carolina, as I said. We got in about 11 o'clock last night, which is why I went off tangent. I'm tired. But, but I heard this said, and I'd heard it before, but I was reminded last night. You know what a football game is? I love football. Did y'all know the Clemson Tigers are the national champions? Just want to make sure you understood that. And Pastor uh, Robert Hampshire's cousin caught the winning touchdown, by the way. Yeah. Close to being a celebrity. We almost got him here for Bible school, but he had to help Coach Sweeney with camps, so he couldn't make it. But you know what a football game is? It's 22 men on a field desperately in need of a rest, being watched by 100,000 people desperately in need of some exercise. <laughs> and that is far too many of our churches. We think... We read that God gave prophets, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to do the work of the ministry. You just misread the Bible. It said to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, if you understand the way you teach people to do something is you better know how to do it and be doing it yourself. Right? Just unless you think I'm trying to get out of anything. If I'm going to teach you how to evangelize, I better be evangelizing. If I'm going to teach you how to apply the word to a problem, I better be in the word knowing how to apply the word. I better be right and divine. If I'm going to teach you how to minister, I better be ministering people's lives. If I'm going to teach you how to teach, I better learn how to teach and be teaching. If I'm, if, if I'm going to do any of this, we're going to start something new, i got to not be afraid to start something new. You with me? You're called... To be equipped by the leaders, by these officers, offices, for what purpose? To serve, but why do you serve for the building of the body of Christ? This whole passage, each statement builds on the one before it. Hear the gifts to equip the saints so they can do the work so the body can be built up. In other words, I don't just sit, uh, you know, sometimes we watch these shows about royalty and all, and it just always fascinates me that they get up and stand there and somebody puts their clothes on for them. That's just weird to me. If I could afford it and there was a guy assigned to do that, I'd be going, get away from me, just hand that to me, I'll put it on myself. I just would bug me. But, you know, I grew up that. They grew up in it, so somebody closed them. And I, I was thinking, there, there's our little baby, granddaughter. She's one years old. She was one year old on Friday. And so we had a little private family party with a chocolate cupcake. And in one year, that child has never eaten processed sugar until she had a handful of chocolate icing. Woo! (laughs) Nobody had to tell her how to eat. She figured it out. And then her mom paid the price all night. But be that as it may. My wife does, I don't go home and sit at the table and she brings me my food and I sit there and she puts it in my mouth. And even worse, let me just make it even worse. You ever seen a baby, a, a bird feed her babies? She goes, catches the food, processes it a little bit and spits it in their mouth, especially a penguin. She eats it, digests it, regurgitates it in her baby's mouth. Yeah, I know, it's gross, isn't it? Well, that's how God designed it. It's okay. They're, they're good. And some church members are like that. Feed me. Why are you leaving this church going to another one? I wasn't getting fed. Your arms broke? You don't know how to read? 
open the Bible, hear from God, and get busy. And listen to the preacher. Listen, let them equip you. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes we don't do that so well. I'm going to fuss at me too, okay? I'm just fussing you. I'm going, oh, Lord, how am I equipping them? I'm not really equipping them here. I'm not, and, I, and I get that. I'm understanding that. And we're working on that. Listen, I've only been here three months. Give me a little bit more time, okay? I, I got about two more months, and then somebody's going to get really ticked at me, and we're going to have to deal with it. But that's okay. Six months. That's about the limit y'all can stand for. I'm going to tick somebody off so bad. But my job is to equip you, and me standing here telling you ought to do it is not equipping you. So we're going to do, we're going to help Sunday school be better. We're going to do some training other places, other times. But when we do that and you're not involved, don't come complaining. Because when you complain, I'm going to ask you, are you in Sunday school? Did, did you take this class that we offered in finances or marriage or parenting or relationships or whatever the case may be? Did you take advantage of the opportunity to become equipped to do the work of the ministry? And if the answer is no, I'm going to say, well, come back once you've done that. Because the problem is not that what we're doing, the problem is what you're not doing. And I say that to myself a lot when I want to criticize somebody. I go, well, I like the way they're doing it. By the way, I'm not doing it. Right? So that's the point here. So that's the use of the gifts. That's why God gave the, the, the use of them. But here's why he gave them. Let's go into that a little further. And it is to bring unity of faith. Here's the why, beginning in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of, notice this word, the faith. The faith. It's the unity of the faith. There's only one faith. He said that earlier. One Lord, one faith. Remember that? It was just in the same chapter, I believe, isn't it? Beginning of the chapter, or is that, uh, yeah. One faith. He's talking about what we understand to be the, how the Word of God teaches about certain subjects. And um, I, I didn't bring one with me. But in the new members class this morning, I handed out a, a pamphlet of what we believe is Baptist. And about every... Doctrinal issue of importance and the scriptures. Here's the statement of why, what we believe and here's why we believe it with a big old paragraph full of scriptures. And not scriptures written out, scripture references. It'd take you an hour to go through each one of those. Because you'd be flipping around in your Bible looking at everything the Bible says about it. That is a way that Baptists understand it. But the Christian church as a whole, we have a unity of faith. You see, the Presbyterian that's saved and the Methodist that's saved... And, uh, and the Baptists that saved, and the Christian church that saved, and name your flavor. If they know the Lord, we only have one faith, because there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's not many, there's one. Man, back when I was a Jesus freak, back in the 70s, and Jesus people, there's only one way. We used to do that all the time, one way. If you saw the movie Woodlawn, I lived through that. Not, I wasn't at Woodlawn, but I lived through that era. There's only one way. And his name is Jesus, and there's only one faith, and it's in him because he is God from eternity past. He is a very essence God. He's the Son of God who put on flesh, and he was all man and all God all at the same time. But while on earth, he operated as a man a perfect life so he could be qualified to die for my sins on a cross. And when he went to the cross, he paid for the sins of all men that would ever be saved. He was buried, and then three days later, he got up physically out of that grave, ascended to the Father... And he's fixing to come back pretty soon. The Bible is the word of God. It does not, it contains no error in it. There is no error. It will not lead you to error. What it says is true. It is trustworthy. It is understandable. Even when it's speaking about things that it's not teaching us to believe those things, but rather reporting on evil things in times past, it is 100% accurate. Been proven over and over and over again, but I don't need the proof because I understand the scripture and I believe the scripture. But, the, but those other proofs come sometimes just to encourage people. But the Bible is God's Word. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Not one, in, not one person, three persons, but one in essence and power and purpose. I believe in the church. It's what Jesus said He came to do to establish. That's what He died for. So we believe in the church. And the church has pastors, and, or 
pastors, elders, or bishops, whichever word you want to use, and deacons are the offices of the church. We're organized around that. We are, and our doctrinal statement is what we find written in the Word of God. That's who we are. And that's who every believer in the world is. Now, let me just promise you something. When people get saved, they may not understand all that. Probably don't. And even if you've heard all of that, you don't understand until you get saved because some of that is spiritually discerned. But there is a unity of faith. And the gifts, the prophets, the apostles are starting a new thing so that they can have prophets to expound on the truth so that they can have people that can help us evangelize others that need to hear the truth so we can have pastors that minister to people and their hurt and their need while they're teaching them the meanings of the truths that they've been hearing. You starting to follow this? Till we come to a unity of faith. We're not many, we're one. But see, that's kind of the mystery. We, not only do we have a unity of faith, we only have, we have the knowledge of Christ. We are working in the body till we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God. This word knowledge is not just knowledge like I read a book. My daughter finished college in three years, one of them. She clept, she got out of seven classes by reading a book and taking a test. Don't ask me how, because I can't do that. She did that. Now, I would not go to her to be an expert on any of those subjects. She knew enough to pass the test. She didn't know enough to apply it in life. Now, what she got her major in, friend, you better listen to her because she knows that. You following me? So what's important is who Jesus is. And let me tell you how you get to know who Jesus is. Walk with him. Talk with him. Live life with Jesus. He's living life. He's with you to go through life with you. And if you turn to Oprah or the Reader's Digest or, I don't know, that's passe. We don't want to read that anymore, do they? Some people do, I guess. But if you go to some secular source to solve your problems, to understand how life works, then you're going to live a secular life. But we go to Christ who created this life. He is our answer. And the knowledge of him is that experiential knowledge that I know him because I'm identified with him. I died with him on a cross I was buried with him in his grave and I rose with him and I've already died. And now when I die, I don't die. My body just ceases to exist on earth, but my soul goes to be with him forever in heaven. I know Christ. And when you know Christ, you're not afraid to die. Like Stephen, who said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Ready to welcome Stephen home. Uh, I see Miss Wade here. God bless you, Miss Wade. Good to see you. And we just buried her husband on Thursday. He passed away on Monday, last Monday. And you don't mind me sharing about his death experience, do you? He, he, he had Alzheimer's. He didn't know we were around. I, I went the week before and gave him communion. And uh, she told me he used to sing. And I started asking, could he sing some of the songs she told me was his favorite? And he, he was looking at me a little confused. And she said, Jim, can you sing Amazing Grace? And he said, yeah. And he started singing it. I got a little bit of it on, on, on a video on my camera and on my phone. I, I need to send that to your daughters and everybody. But, but she told me about his death. I wasn't there when he died. He died uh, right at 2 o'clock, a few minutes before 2 o'clock on Monday, last Monday afternoon. He had been suffering. He was out of it. His eyes were cloudy and all of that. And uh, a nurse said she was there. And she said all of a sudden his eyes cleared up and he looked up and he grinned. And he made a noise like, ugh. And that was his last breath. Now, he's, I can't prove heaven from that. And some of you going, well, you know. Okay, you believe what you want. <laughs> but what I'm telling you is when you know Christ, death holds no fear because death is not death. Death is passing from this life to real life. And when you're a man like Jim, you don't die, you just move. He left 114 Fox Hill Road and moved into some place in heaven. I don't know the address, but that's where he is. Not only a unity of faith and the knowledge of Christ, but to mature manhood. That we are spiritually mature. And of course, in our politically correct days, I have to say mature adulthood. 
But manhood, using the English general manhood, meaning all humankind. Until you're a mature body, until you're mature people. That is the purpose of the gifts, that we become mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are maturing to the point of looking like Jesus. Do you think Jesus had bad doctrine? No, he is the doctrine, isn't he? So as we mature, we get... Sound doctrine, we become like him. And so now we understand because we know him. But notice that also there is a loving, living testimony. That we no longer be children tossed to and fro by ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes. We're mature. We're not shaken by a world, uh, a wind. And we're not shaken by a storm. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The why of the gift is so that we live out Jesus in this world. That we grow to a maturity in the fullness of Christ. And so we have a loving testimony. Because we speak the truth and love to one another. That's that fellowship part. Where we start helping one another, teaching one another. So what are the results of the gifts? First, look at this. Last verse, last two verses. Last verse, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped with each part is working properly. Why is he making a a big deal about that each part? I'll tell you why. Because earlier in this scripture, he talked about each one of us. To each one of you is given. But now each one of us are part of one body. I've got many cells in my body. Every cell I got came from one cell. And something, while I was being formed in the womb, and science knows some of these but doesn't know all of them, somewhere in there, that cell, that stem cell, was told to turn into a heart cell or an eye cell, a specific kind of eye cell, according to what part of the eye, a specific kind of heart cell, According to what part of the heart? A specific nerve cell, specific brain cell, specific bone cell, specific marrow cell, specific skin cell, specific hair cell. And it began to create all these myriad parts. And I don't know how many parts, technically when you get on that level, cellular level, how many parts there are. But there's a bunch of them. And if you believe the Bible, which I do, Psalm 139 says, God was intimately acquainted with your creation. So if you don't like your hair color, your IQ, your eye color, your height, your stature, or any of that, talk to the Creator. Because He made you to be you to serve Him as only you can. So in Corinthians, when Paul talks about the gifts, he says, so should the foot say the hand? I don't like it because I'm not a hand. I'd rather be a hand than a foot. Or the eye say the ear, I don't like because I'm not an ear. Or the ear say the eye, whichever way he said it. But you get the point. Does your body parts complain because they're not the other thing? And yet, we live in a time where people stand up in church. Now you understand why I was talking about women in the ministry. Where there are certain folks that will stand up and curse God because they're not allowed to do what God said. You can't do that. This is what I want you to do over here. I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a woman. You know, there ain't a whole lot of options. You're one or the other. I don't like being a servant. What if God made you to be a servant? You see, the lowest servant who serves well will get the same reward as the highest acclaimed person in the world who served God well. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in God's house and serve sin in this world. That's not the exact quote, but he said, then be a servant of sin for a season. Or enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, is what he said. I would rather open the door for guests than be the preacher if that's what God called me to do. And I would too. <laughs> you see, the higher up the chain you go, the more responsibility you have means it's more people to serve. Because Jesus was the ultimate servant and he served all of us by dying on a cross. And he said, if I've washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. Because when Jesus did that, he was making an example of the fact that he took off deity 
and came and operated as a man. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, he put deity back on. But he said, as I did, now you do, because you're coming to a place where you're going to be glorified. But in the meantime, wash each other's feet. The purpose of the gifts is that we would serve one another and build ourselves up, being many parts, being one body, growing together, serving each other till we're one whole body. Because here's what I want you to understand. I am not the minister at Calvary Baptist Church. I am the administer. You're the minister. You are the minister. Because that's what the Bible teaches. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Somebody who does the work of a ministry is a... Somebody who does the work of the ministry is a... I'm a pastor. I'm not a minister. We've misused that term. You're a minister. You can go home today and say, guess what? I got, got a promotion at work. <laughs> I'm a minister. <laughs> yes, you are. Highest, highest job we could, any of us can have is to do what God calls us to do, to minister to the body in accordance to the gifts that God has given us. So not everybody can preach. There are days you say, neither can you, but you're up there. <laughs> not everybody can speak to people about Christ. But like the lady that at a church where I served for over 20 years, every week she made three loaves of homemade bread to take to people who visited the church to open the door so we could talk to them about Jesus. Now, people that got saved during that kind of visitation, do you think we're going to get to heaven? And the person that sat there and prayed with them is going to step up and go, yep, yep, I led them to the Lord. God may say, step aside, fool. Myra made the bread that opened the door for you to get in there. I'm going to reward her. Come here, Myra. That's her name, by the way, Myra. Just in case you think I'm making that up, I'll give you her whole name later if you want. But, and she would shoot me if I ever said what she did in our church. I mean, literally. She had her husband locked and cocked, ready to shoot me if I ever brought attention to her. Because that was what God called her to do. So don't despise what God enables you to do. Because we are all being equipped to together serve one another until we become one body. We've been talking about the power of one. Y'all been talking about that. We've been talking about it for several months. We probably won't say a lot about that from this point forward because now we're going to talk about how we are one and what are we one with and how are we working together. But I don't want you to forget that idea. We are not, we are many members, but we're one body. And what you do affects me and what I do affects you. And I've illustrated it before. I'm going to use the same illustration. I'm going to illustrate it again. Tonight, in the middle of the night, you get up, walk through your house in the darkness, and stub your toe against the table your wife moved, or step on a toy a kid left out, or just in your grogginess, turn into a wall and hurt yourself. And if you stub your toe, does just your toe hurt? And you go, oh, quit whining down there. Or do you go, oh, man, oh, gosh, oh, man, oh. And your wife goes, what's wrong? Oh, I hurt myself, I hurt myself. Your whole body gets involved in that, doesn't it? How come when one part of our body hurts, we don't do that? How come we don't act as a unit, as a body? It's because we're not growing together like we ought to. And so I want us to grow together, don't you? Amen. Well, did everybody get a, a ministry sheet when you walked in today? Is in the bulletin or anything? Okay, that got... What's that? They're in the foyer. Okay, they're ministry sheets in the foyer. There are places, because I want you to see three things today that you could do. First of all, you are leading somebody. You're leading your children. You're leading somebody at work. There's somebody... Who are you leading? Equip them. Now, you say, well, it's not a Christian thing. That's okay. You need to get in the habit of teaching people all the time anyway. Right? But especially in church. Who are you leading? Teach them. Equip them. We call it the bus rule. If you got hit by a bus tomorrow, who's there to do what you've been doing? I'll tell you who's there or not there, the person you equip to do it. Don't make this whole church go, oh my goodness. We got to find someone. Who, who could do that? I don't even know. I know a young man, he used to work for the Washington Redskins, and they got a new owner, and through the process of 
that new owner, he eventually left that organization. And that's the nicest way I could ever say that. But they were mad at him for leaving. And he was mad at them because of the way they did business. And he told them so. He was, he was online to become like a vice president there. And he walked in and he said, you don't treat these people right and I'm out of here. And they said, fine, leave. But then they found out they were going to have to hire three people to replace him because of the work he was doing. So they said, we will triple your salary if you'll stay. Because they didn't want to have to train new people to do what only he knew how to do. And he said, this isn't about money. This is about integrity and you don't have any. And walked out. Now, I know some of y'all might be Redskin fans, so I apologize. I don't care, but I apologize. <laughs> he went to work for another organization, the Houston Texans. And one day said, this job takes me away from my family more than I need to. So he quit as vice president, one of the vice presidents of the Houston Texans. Right now he's selling our house back in Suffolk. But he's happy as a clam doing what God asked him to do. Being a husband and a father and loving his family and raising his children and nurturing admiration of the Lord. Say, well, that's a bit extreme. Really? God's will is extreme? Yeah, it is. It really is. So you're leading somebody. I don't know who all he led, but you know how he got started. He graduated Liberty University with a degree in sports management, and he went to work for the Washington Redskins for zero money and rose to become one of their vice presidents. It's not about what you do should millions be your lot, but what are you doing right now with the dollar and quarter you got? Equip somebody to do what you do. Secondly, if you're under leadership, then make your leader equip you. (laughs) Say, you're not teaching me right, man. I need some more help here. And force that. That's the negative side. Here's the positive side. Listen, learn, glean from it. Because let me just tell you something. If I teach you something, I will not teach you perfectly right. You know why? Because I am not perfectly right. But I'll teach you what I do know and how I understand how it works for me. And you can take that and apply it in your life the way it needs to be applied. But, friend, if you need to learn, ask somebody. I had a, I had a mentor one time, a professor. He said, here's the problem. In our churches, we start failing. You know, nothing's working right. And so we go find somebody else that's failing. And we say, let's go have coffee. Starbucks didn't exist back then. So let's go have coffee, and you sit down, and you have coffee, and say, are you failing? So am I failing. You feel good about how you're failing. He said, go find somebody that's succeeding, and sit down and say, what am I doing wrong? And learn something. Intentionally learn from those that are leading you. And let me just tell you, it will delight them if you go to them and say, man, I I need to learn. I want to learn more from you. I know a guy owns a business because in college he went to work there. It was a machine shop. They machine metal parts. Can't think of the man's name. I can remember the name of the company and it's down in North Carolina. And and they machine parts. I'm looking at my friend over here. He's a machinist. And, And so as a college student, he went in sweeping the floors. And then he, can I work in the shipping department? And he got a job in the shipping. He learned all of the shipping. And you know what he would do? After work, his shift was over, he'd walk in the machine shop, and he'd walk up to the guy at the first machine and say, can you show me how this machine works? Can you show me how to do it? And he would learn, and then he would run the machine. Then he'd go to the next guy the next time, and then the next guy, until he could run every machine in that building, knew everything there was about shipping, knew everything there was about how the front office worked. He went through every office, and the guy that started the business got old and wanted to retire and said, you know what? I think you ought to buy this business. He goes, really? That would be very nice. That was his plan all along. And now he owns the business. Because he sat around going, well, I've worked here for 20 years. I, I deserve a raise. No, because he worked his can off learning what he ought to be doing. And now, guess what would happen? A machinist would call in sick. Guess who was running the machine? The owner of the company. Now, that'll make everybody in the room nervous. <laughs> when the guy signs your paychecks, run the machine next to you. But also make you respect him. So as a lead, if somebody is leading you, if you say, I want to learn from you, they will be delighted. 
Thank you. Yes, somebody I can teach. Thirdly, sign up on that form. You say, I'm not, I'm not qualified to do any of this. Where would you like to get qualified? Sign up. Start learning. Say, I'd like to work with this ministry because I don't know anything about it, but I know that I would love to see this happen, and I need somebody to show me. Would you teach me how? Because I want to help you. Or you can just keep coming to church, sitting here on Sunday morning, sitting and soaking, and become like the Dead Sea, can't support life. Y'all know that's why the Dead Sea's dead? Every waterway in, in the Middle East runs into the Dead Sea, and nothing runs out of it. And it's, got, it's so rich in mineral deposits, it can't support life. In so many of our churches, we soak and soak. I read a statistic the other day, I'm not against them. But when women's ministry went from ministering to people to going to seminars, the, mature, the spiritual maturity and the involvement of women has gone down. Because you're sitting and soaking instead of serving. There's got to come a time. Yeah, I know. There, there are people who go to college for 10 years and then get a job at the college because they can't stand to leave. You know what I'm talking about? There comes a time where you got to grow up and start working. We were talking to my son. He got married a few weeks ago. And I used to always jokingly said, I got two daughters and a knothead, you know. And I was joking. I've always respected my son, admired him. I think he's a great kid, a great guy. He's a great man now. He's married. But mom and I are talking to him on the phone, just kind of riding down the road. And hey, he goes, what's up? So are you at work? Or what? Abigail, he said, no, I'm at work. And he has, it was a slow day. We knew that. He had a minute, so he took a little break. And he talked to us a minute. So what are you doing? Well, I've, I've uh, examined this many insurance policies for car insurance. And uh, I took care of the phone thing the other day. And he started naming all this stuff where he's taking care of business. I mean, I had to go to my daughters and go, please, get off of our car insurance. <laughs> no, I didn't. But all of a sudden, he's acting like a mature man. I'm thrilled. Not because it's going to cost me less, even though that's a perk. I'm thrilled because he's acting like a man. I used to always say, my kids are okay. As of 11.56 on May 28, 2017, but the next minute all that might change. And so I just want you to understand that. I know that. I'm not holding him up as a perfect person. He's not a perfect person, just as I'm not a perfect person. But I tell you this, he's taking the responsibility of being a man. He's only 22. And so people said, well, he's kind of young to be getting married. He ought to wait a while. He went, why? I want to marry her. I don't see the point in waiting. And I'm ready. And he's proven he is. Right? Buckle up, man. Or to quote John Wayne, saddle up. (laughs) It's time to ride. And let's get on with God's work. Father God... Man, we could have gone into so much detail of what you're telling us here. And I would have enjoyed that, Lord. But I know you really want us to apply it. And 